Here you are. BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, let me just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. And we're back with an all-new Keep It. I'm Ira Madison III. I'm Louis Fertel. I'm Aida Osman. And we are in the throes of Iowa caucus results. It actually sucks. We're recording uh, Tuesday morning, as we always do. Just which a means, show. yeah, right in the middle of the Iowa meltdown situation. Should I just go through a list of ways I can defend Iowa as a former Iowan citizen? It'll be try. a short list. Okay, here we go. No, you, you're on to something. Uh, one, you ever seen the movie The World According to Garp? It's there. Bridges of Madison <laughs> County? It's not in any other state. It's not a good movie. Go ahead. It, mm-hmm. Bridges of Madison County is one of her worst nominated movies, I think. Real, and also the people who play her kids, guys, don't look them up. Yes. They don't need to be looked up. Good yes. try, Lewis. Next thing on the list. Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, 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 we one time had a really great wrestling team. Um, football often occurs. What's your team called? Uh, the Hawkeyes. Oh, I can't really hesitancy. say for sure what that is. <laughs> and also, um, you know, corn is good. I mean, I prefer it uh, buttered. Anyway, uh, <laughs> the Iowa caucus was Monday evening, and as people waited for results to roll in, they did not roll in. Um, as some precinct captains reported, Technical difficulties with a new app that was introduced this year for reporting vote tallies. I know they said app. I still picture like the copy machine from nine to five and someone like hitting it (laughs) and papers flying out of it. (laughs) Yeah. The Iowa Democratic Party, however, has denied any issues with their app and they have blamed delays on inconsistencies in precinct reporting. And now candidates who are competing for 41 delegates are basically just waiting. It's Tuesday morning. There are still no results. And yet, there's a lot going on. Uh, First of all, let's get into the idea of even introducing an app in the first place. For who? Why? And it's a phone app? Yeah. Why? Yeah. Why? And some people apparently just weren't even using it. I don't know. I I don't expect uh, technological breakthroughs to come from the state of Iowa. I will say that. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, as from my understanding of being in that horrid state, like, shoddy Wi-Fi, especially in, like, libraries and gymnasiums and cell phone service, like, there's so many things that could go wrong with using an app. Well, I think Iowa has Wi-Fi, Aida. I will give them. I will give them that. Uh, but I do think that introducing this just this late in the game is very silly. Mm-hmm. What, what, what happened to phone calls? Right. Exactly. I guess what was fascinating, though, was watching the candidates have to spin their wheels and talk anyway. Yes, of and course. sort of not declare victory, but also unless be like, we did it. Unless yeah. you're Pete Buttigieg. Right. But it was who, all in like the subtext of what they were saying. Yes. You know? I mean, he mostly declared his victory and then walked it back this morning, right? right. Mm-hmm. Just saying that it was victorious that he was able to get voters in 
urban areas and rural areas, you know, when people thought that he couldn't before, which I think is sort of a lame answer and sort of typical of him because no one was ever insisting that he couldn't get votes, right? Mm-hmm. I th- yeah. And no one was ever saying that his involvement in the race was you can't get votes. I think the critiques of his involvement in the race were that he had the privilege of being a white male candidate who was going to get votes. But by the way, I felt like every candidate unleashed some version of they said we couldn't do it, and yet yeah. I am here. Yes, it's like, Klobuchar, we're punching above our weight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, let's qualify the subject here. Who's they? <laughs> <laughs> let's be specific. <laughs> they um, being this nebulous media, which I will also qualify as my main irritation last night. I think last night highlighted exactly why cable news is garbage. Yeah, There was... Hours of people talking about nothing. We still don't know anything this morning. And so what was the point of a 24-hour news cycle of debating results that we don't have? And also mm-hmm. CNN subjected us to Rick Santorum in a sweater vest. Yeah. And as you know, he is uh, not jaunty. So I did not <laughs> need to see that. <laughs> uh, there were exemplary moments of idiocy like Wolf Blitzer being on the phone with someone who was calling to get oh results. What a painful clip to have seen. That was miserable. The phone being answered after that person was on hold <laughs> for so long, waiting to answer so that they could tell Wolf Blitzer that they were going to answer this call and they were going to let it air live on TV and then getting hung up on. Mm-hmm. Right. Maybe worry about the fucking results instead of getting them to Wolf Blitzer. They were calling <laughs> what the Iowa Democrats. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, they were calling a precinct captain. Right. Yes. yes. Who was then like, "Oh, I can report these results to you live on the air." That was. I mean, it was deeply comical. I hate using this metaphor; it comes up all the time. But like beyond Veep, I mean, it was, it was yeah. just embarrassing. That um, people trying to spin any sort of story out of nothing was. Deeply embarrassing. Also, I am just going to say that I don't like the concept of caucuses. Oh, I mean, brave. No it's one's saying a game that right we now. Used okay. to play in like preschool. You stand on this side. That's what you like. And you stand on the other side. It's just such a primitive idea. I feel like we can move towards something better. Yeah. If maybe if I were on Wisteria Lane, you know, <laughs> yeah. maybe if I was, you know, living at Melrose Place. Like if I actually liked my neighbors. Truly. One, I don't want to talk to neighbors. Two, the caucus process is sort of emblematic of the people who were live-tweeting the caucus last night, right? Or having caucus watch parties. We know who these kind of people are. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of them are in our lives. Uh, (laughs) They're just sort of like nerds who are very into the, quote, political process. I mean, the concept of someone who would want to go to a gymnasium at 6.30 p.m. and then argue with people and give their case for their candidate and then pick delegates and then decide who they're going to pick at the end is just lunacy to me Mm -hmm. personally. And it also seems like a thing that um, white people with free time get to do. (laughs) Um, if, If you are busy after work, 
and you are taking care of your kids or you don't have a babysitter or maybe you're even like disabled and can't get to the polls or if you're deaf and can't have a conversation with people at a caucus or, you know, if you're just not white and feel uncomfortable around all these white people um, shouting over each other, you're probably not going to be involved in this process, which is why I prefer a primary mm-hmm. where you can write down your opinion on a ballot and turn it in and, and mind your own business. <laughs> yes. How did you feel about the mountain of black voters that Pete Buttigieg had arranged behind himself during I, his speech last night? I almost night? wasn't here because Pete <laughs> called me. And said, he was like, I want seven black women in a row. That's a bingo blackout. And I was like, Pete, I'm busy. I got a job. Baby. The thing is, no one is denying that they were his supporters, but to line every black person who was in Pete's audience directly behind him in front of the camera it was obvious people were going to bring that up. Everything about him is an operation. Uh-huh. That victory speech, it sounded like... Um, well, he's the new Arsenio. You understand uh, that, right? Okay. He really was giving me um, spelling bee winner energy last night. Just yes. like assuming he had the whole thing, the blazer, you know, I mean... Mm-hmm. Putnam County is shook. Right. <laughs> How have we not nicknamed him Potsy Buttigieg? His Happy Days energy. Oh, okay. isn't he so Potsy? Okay. Yeah. Sit on it, Potsy. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing is that you're waiting for what the media is going to say about it, right? And it depends on who wins if they're going to declare it as very important. I think that it is important for Pete to have won this, I guess, because he needs to inspire anyone who's not white to vote for him. Mm -hmm. Um, And an early victory would do that. Um, It's important if Sanders won because, you know, he's outside of the establishment. And so that would be a sign that people are turning progressive at Mm -hmm. the ballot, the caucus, Uh caucus box. Um, the mm. caucus Asians are, are, are <laughs> I, I ready did, to vote. I did see that pun made a couple of times. Last did you? Night. Yes. I thought about making it on Twitter, but it just seems like you're calling an Asian person a caucus. Uh, right, right, yeah, right. Yeah, it, it's yeah. not a smooth pun. It's not a, mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. The pun is not viable. Mm-hmm. There we are. <laughs> uh, but it's very fun if you like being wonky and nerdy and um, following. Tommy Vitor on Instagram stories. Hen- <laughs> or as I call him, Henry Wonkler. That's right. <laughs> Otherwise, the best thing to come out of Iowa is season two of Scandal. Oh, not season four of Girls? No. Okay. That, that writing workshop? Yeah. I, I didn't love that season. No, it wasn't good. No. I, Defiance, Iowa, and Scandal, though. That was when they rigged the election. Oh, of fix. course. Right, yeah. right, right. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, we have quite the episode this week. We will be joined by Skylar Aston. Guys, we fell in love with Skylar Aston. I know, Astin. it's a problem. I have never felt this way about a straight man before. It was, I mean, it was really crazy for me. Especially a straight white man. Yeah. Uh, if something's in the air. I really think so. Yeah. Uh, listen. Uh, Zendaya, Meghan Markle, Meg, briefly. Yeah. <laughs> maybe it's time, Ira. Maybe it's time. <laughs> Megan the Stallion. She walked back. That yeah. She is. She said, I am not fucking G-Easy, <laughs> even though y'all got jokes. She tweeted that this morning. Uh, but I think you'll talk about that later. Yeah, Anita. we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Um, we will also get into the Super Bowl and all of its bombast from Shakira and J-Lo herself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then we will talk about Miss Americana, the new Taylor Swift 
documentary on Netflix. Mm-hmm. And look at that. Turns out the Iowa caucus results will be reported at 5 p.m. Eastern today. So by the time you listen to this, you'll already know who won. You know more than Good us. And it's you. uncomfortable. I'm so mad. We'll be right back. What can I say about Shakira at the Super Bowl? Well, her hips, they don't lie. <laughs> You're trying to put Here her in go. the knives are out category? No, we, <laughs> we need don't. a new one. We need a new one. I wasn't even bringing up <laughs> knives out. Well, I have not talked about my knives for at least two weeks. Okay, well, it's a preemptive keep it, so. Is that even true, Ira? I feel like I saw something recently. I'm keeping my knives sharpened, of course, but I'm waiting for the Oscars. Okay, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah, where where they will probably be out because Parasite will probably win best screenplay. Does that make you mad? No, it doesn't make me mad, but I do want Ryan Johnson to win. Oh, okay, okay. That's oh, I see, yeah, I see. Yeah. Right. Oh, go. I guess Here that's what go. you're into this Oscars. We'll talk about yeah. that later. Yeah, we'll talk about it. But anyway, the Super Bowl happened. They insisted on Transpired. scheduling a game around this event. Yes. Yes. And uh, Jennifer Lopez and Shakira made history on Sunday as the first two Latina women to co-headline one of the most watched events of the year. Their combined set included lots of belly dancing, hit songs, some pole dancing, yes. mm. a lot of Bad Bunny, <laughs> and J Balvin. I was expected. Yes, and made sure to acknowledge the political importance of the moment. But, of course, the girls were mad. I'm sure. The girls, of course, being press people online who were <laughs> like, uh, this performance was too hot for TV, too sexy. Too racy. Oh, yeah, that's what's offensive. Then go back to watching that game where people's brains are bashed in every second. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there are movies about it now. Yeah, that Will Smith one. Right, yes. <laughs> yeah. Which no. was nominated for very little. Yeah. Well, are you guys talking about Gemini Man? Ra- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Should have been nominated for a Razzie. <laughs> Joe and I, man, on the other hand. That's a that movie. girl. <laughs> I, love, I love that movie. Tune in at the Oscars. It'll be Ang- there. Ang Lee did what he had to do. <laughs> anyway, um... J-Lo took the stage and the pole, right. which I saw as a nod to Hustlers, yeah, obviously. Correct. She had to show off um, those post-Hustlers arms. And it was shocking. It felt so quaint, to be honest. you know. And in the era where everyone was mad about Beyonce and her black militants, it felt quaint to see people call a Super Bowl performance to sexualized right. right like it it seems like we should be past the era where we're talking about women performers being too sexual on tv and also yeah. by the way it's not like they were close to naked or anything it's just the idea of a pole that i think set people off meanwhile she really was just doing sort of gymnastic like stunts yeah. i actually thought it was a little bit more technically accomplished than i expected mm-hmm. i thought it would just be kind of run-of-the-mill j-lo dancing in, yeah in fact when i close my eyes and remember this performance i saw nary a boob nope a i think at one point they turned around and you saw a little bit of their butts yeah they're wearing tight-fitting clothing but in no way was it like deliberately seductive or over the top I know. Meanwhile, Adam Levine last year looked like he was on the bait bus. <laughs> and again, nobody... Niche reference for the team, for, for the listeners today. No critiques about Lady Gaga's performance or Katy Perry's performance in those ways. Mm, so Sounds about white. <laughs> uh, it was obviously two 
women of color on stage, uh, two Latin women um, just sort of embracing their culture that seemed to upset people. I but mean, no one said anything, of course, when um, Madonna performed. And as you know, she is almost Latin. <laughs> she brings it up a lot. She was a Vita. Yeah. Uh, I was very into Shakira when she took the stage at first because I have always been a huge Shakira fan. Mm -hmm. uh, yes. Even when the internet was sort of declaring that J-Lo didn't need a co-headliner, which is true. I appreciated the fact that there were both of them on stage because it sort of lowered the pressure for both of them. I thought that they complemented each other very well. Mm -hmm. We don't generally think of J-Lo and Shakira in the same sphere, even though they're two um, Latina performers. They sort of operate in different sort of areas of music, right? Mm -hmm. Like J-Lo is more hip-hop and um, pop and sort of feels more American, and Shakira obviously is very global. Right. I always feel like I've come late to Shakira, even though I've been a fan since she made her super American debut with Laundry Service in mm -hmm. 2001. Well, because we missed albums of Spanish language. Right. Yeah. And she, she was a Grammy winner before that for yeah. the uh, unplug she did in Spanish. But it was really awesome having people reevaluate Shakira, I think. I, something that sticks with me is that after the Super Bowl, Shakira had, I think, five songs in the iTunes Top 20, and, including the number one, which was Whenever, Wherever, yeah. a, a, an eternal song. Love it, love it, love it. Mm -hmm. What was crazy to me was that J-Lo's highest charting was at number 16. Mm -hmm. with uh, On the Floor. Mm -hmm. It made me think, is J-Lo's discography somewhat lacking in eternal bops? I don't think it is. I think that the difference was that we're pretty familiar with J-Lo. You think most yeah. people just own those singles? You know, I think most people have those singles. Most people know the J-Lo songs that they yeah. like. I was not shocked that On the Floor was the highest charting of them all only because I remember when On the Floor came out it was sort of like it felt like a comeback of sorts mm -hmm. for J-Lo back into music and it dominated you know when I looked back and I was watching none of J-Lo's songs gave me like a sense of nostalgia or that I wanted to go back and listen to her or stream her music except for Waiting for Tonight because of the graphics the way they did it like it looked just like the music video yes. so I went back and listened to it but every single Shakira track had me going oh baby like I gotta go back and listen to this interesting mm. yeah also you're right J-Lo has I guess just patented emerald laser lights yeah that's her <laughs> she has well remember in 2009 <laughs> when everyone thought they were a cyborg Right. Like the black uh -huh. eyed peas and all of that. So that was the aesthetic very much so of then. Right. Oh, of uh, On the Floor, which was 2009. Mm -hmm. Yes. But uh, no, you're right. That was no, the time of uh, Lady Gaga, uh, Lady Christina Gaga. Aguilera, Bionic. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. I will expand on Aida's point and say that people traditionally get a Super Bowl performance when they're sort of far along in their career, right? And mm -hmm. so you do get that sense of nostalgia. And I feel like Waiting for Tonight will evoke that. But I also feel like we didn't get a lot of things to be nostalgic for in J-Lo's performance because, one, she's dominated the cultural conversation for the past year mm -hmm. um, between A-Rod, between Hustlers, and this entire sort of award season. J-Lo has been front and center, for one. And, two, she's had the Vegas residency and she's done some medleys on TV in recent history, mm -hmm. right? I feel like other people who've gotten... Super Bowl performances sort of 
have come out and given you something else. I mean, like, Beyonce dominates the cultural conversation, but when she came out, there was the Destiny's Child reunion, right? You know, when Katy Perry performed, I don't remember how high her songs charted, but she had Missy perform with her, and Missy's songs started charting high because there was that sense of, oh, we haven't been thinking about this constantly, you know? And I feel like Shakira benefited from being a person that we all really love, you know, like Whenever, Wherever, um, Hips Don't Lie. Like, these are massive songs, but they aren't maybe songs that are constantly a part of the cultural conversation. I was wondering also if maybe during J-Lo's performance, she didn't perform enough of each individual single. Like, no. I feel like none of her Ain't hooks sort of hits? landed. Yeah, yeah right, yeah. exactly. Um, Jenny from Jenny the Block from the was like 30 seconds. Yeah. Uh, her performance was really geared towards the end. Let's Get Loud, mixed up with um, Springsteen's Born in the USA, which mm-hmm. I thought was a beautiful moment. And oh, I love yeah. the Puerto Rican flag. Oh, yeah. yeah and also, literally the kids in cages during yeah. that performance. Which I, I mean, didn't realize until I double-backed and watched it again. The first time I was just so enthralled by Emmy that I didn't, I missed it. Right. So, yeah, yeah, it was very powerful. Also, it was a way- little light as a metaphor, to be honest. Yeah. But- <laughs> <laughs> it looked pretty. And yeah. also, that's just it. The staging was so kind of good looking. You didn't think of it as an mm-hmm. abrasive political mm-hmm. moment. But I, I have to say, my favorite thing about the Super Bowl performance was Shakira because she is so, as much as we know her as like a, uh, she's an icon of sensuality and pop, she is such a genuine freak. I mean, mm-hmm. gen- some of these movements, <laughs> yeah. this woman is obsessed with moving like a, not just an animal, a weird animal. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like it's like a harumphing. She cannot get through a performance without galloping. Truly, it is unhinged <laughs> yeah. horse girl energy. Yeah. Well, yeah. she's a she-wolf. Corre- uh, uh-huh. That too. And by the way, Loba. Her, her performing <laughs> she-wolf one of the gays-only pop songs of the past 20 years. It's no so, wonder why I liked it so much. I yeah. didn't realize, but now I know. <laughs> just like, there's a she-wolf in the closet, let it out. It's just so funny. It's so yeah. disturbing. It, and, and her her movements during that part of the song where she's sort of individually puppeteering each of her body parts. Mm-hmm. So strange and one of a kind. <laughs> and she's such a brilliant songwriter. She writes all that stuff. No, I, lo- I love um, Shakira songs. I've been a Shakira fan, obviously, since Laundry Service. And I love listening to her Spanish-language albums, but I also love listening to her English-language albums because they are the translations are always <laughs> yeah. so fun. Yeah, um, I, I think people miss the comedy that's in Shakira songs. Like, they're so funny. Like, one of my favorite songs of hers is Poem to a Horse. Oh, yeah. Which is great. And I also love that she showed off, you know, like, belly dancing and her guitar moment and then her on the drums and a salsa dance break and, like, the tongue meme thing was like a Zagruda, like an Arabic celebration chant. It was like she was mixing all the parts of her Colombian Mm -hmm. and Lebanese and Arabic culture all for America to watch. And I just love that she's this blend of so many great things. And I guess that sort of explains why she has such a huge global impact. You know, she actually is the precursor to Lady Gaga and how she blends the brainy with the daffy. You know what I mean? There's always a reference to what she's doing. You just mentioned the Zagruda and there was a whole, just a whole bunch of cultural references in what she did Mm -hmm. that she is definitely purposely incorporating. But then also, she's 
legitimately so strange. You know what I mean? I think that combination is really exciting. And again, outside of Lady Gaga, very rare. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, this is just overall, but I love that, you know, we're, they're in Miami. They bring out these artists. And also they do I Like It, Cardi B's track. And I was watching Cardi B do a live stream after the show, and she was just in tears about it. So mm-hmm. excited about, you know, getting a, getting a call out from, like, her favorite artists. It was a beautiful moment. Mm-hmm. I was just, I was really moved. Yeah, I loved the um, fact that Latinx people felt represented. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot of outpour um, from people on social media about it. Uh, I also liked the debate that it sparked, too, yeah. about the uh, exclusion of Afro-Latino mm-hmm. artists as well. And those are conversations that people should be having. Yeah, which we talked about a little bit last week when mm-hmm. I brought up Rosalia. So it is an interesting track that I feel like we're going to start going down now as well. But, you know, it's like little steps, incremental steps, but exactly exactly to the point that you're saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, talking about the Super Bowl itself, it is always this interesting juxtaposition of a show making a political statement um, within the overall context of the NFL, uh, which is racist and um, <laughs> somewhat evil. Yes, right. So uh, oh, yeah, We're not over that yet, right? Yeah, certainly aren't. Um, Beyonce and Jay-Z were there. Uh, they did not stand during the uh, national anthem, which some people said was in support of Colin Kaepernick, but um, I didn't. <laughs> uh, I think they just didn't want to get up. <laughs> I Possible. mean, at this, at this point, any quote-unquote support of Colin Kaepernick from Jay-Z f- would feel sort of like... Passive. N- yeah, right? Yeah. Like it just... feels sort of like, what's the point? Mm-hmm. Perfunctory. <laughs> also, I'm, I'm I'm a little bit done like with like Beyonce cryptograms. Like, can we just like yeah? L- let's let her explain herself as she has to explain herself. Yes. You know what I mean? Like this interpretation of her constantly because she gives us so little interview wise is like can get a little tiring. I mean, we'll get into that with Miss Americana, right? Oh, just, indeed, like, we will. Like yes. this whole idea of national treasuring mm-hmm. pop stars uh, and laying your emotions onto them is exhausting. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, I think that they were just there. They enjoyed the the game. Yeah. That was that. I didn't pay much attention to the game. uh, Uh, Obviously, obviously. my my only. Yeah, I know. My only (laughs) takeaway is that the name Jimmy Garoppolo is just way too close to Janine Garoppolo. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I have to think about uh, Romeo and Michelle's high school reunion every time this man is on the field. It's Mm -hmm. shocking, you know. Also, I thought the commercials were incredibly low impact this year. Yeah. No one's talking about them. Like the one with Bill Murray in it, which was Groundhog related, correct? Yeah. That I sort of remember that, but uh, you know what though? I am completely fine with the conversation getting away from these damn commercials. Yeah. I mean, it's just like as much as like we have gotten LOLs from certain commercials over the years and that, that have become iconic, it's just a, a really gross, overtly capitalist yeah. bullshit enterprise and yeah. and now outdated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I remember the era where we stopped really obsessing over them only because I feel like the commercials were released before the Super Bowl mm-hmm. so often that we'd already seen them. And now we've got to the point where we just sort of prefer the halftime show over the commercials. And it is grossly capitalist and nothing exemplified that more than a Bloomberg ad. Oh, sure. During the Super Bowl, which, I mean, we didn't talk about him during the caucus conversation, yeah. but the fact that like we are continuing to humor this man buying his way into an election is insanity to me. And then lavishing millions of dollars, obviously, to have a Super Bowl commercial. No one else has that. And why do we want it? And yet, 
I remain mortified every time another celebrity sticks his neck out for this guy. The newest one is Tim Gunn. Yeah, for Bloomberg. At one point in my life, I would have said Tim Gunn is maybe the only person I trust. It was 2004. (laughs) Culture was going wrong. Mm. It was a very Von Dutch hat era. You know what I mean? I just wanted a ballast. And it's like, wow, why? Pathetic. Anyway, um, the Super Bowl is what it is. Yeah, I think it ranks among the best for me, though, because it was so much fun. Mm -hmm. It didn't feel sweaty at all, and there was a lot of highly technical work going on. Yeah. I would rank it somewhere below uh, Beyonce and Prince. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe slightly above Gaga. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the one thing I enjoyed so much about Lady Gaga was clearly the lack of lip syncing. Um, I yeah. mean, I really don't care if artists lip sync. That's not something I don't have like an integrity tied to that. Mm-hmm. But at some moments, I was like, "Oh, Shakira, girl, you know, you don't even look like you're trying to hide the fact that you were lip syncing parts of this." It felt so pre-recorded until J Lo came out, and then there was improvisations, and then maybe they changed it for when she did the. You know, J Lo was about to do some improv on the mic. She was not about to have people calling her lip syncing. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Scream, she, gente here. She knew what she was doing yes. with that, and. This is a thing that we always come back to, though, right? Because, mm-hmm. like, Super Bowl, even, like, the national anthem, it's always... Which Demi killed. She did kill yeah. that. It's always a thing that you have to do pre-recording for, mm-hmm. just because there are so many elements in this live performance that could come into play that you just need to be sure. I Truly. just... I, I've, I've always... Whitney lip-synced her Correct. classic uh, Oh, don't tell me that. Anthem. Everybody does, girl. <laughs> No, she yeah, performed like I said, I over have no... the track, but like you have to pre-record those things. Yeah. Like weather conditions. I've been completely okay wrong. with the idea of lip syncing ever since the 1990 uh, VMAs when Madonna did Vogue. I mean, it's the mm-hmm. best lip synced recording of all time when she's in the Marie Antoinette garb. So yes. if, you, if you're ever feeling low because you saw a performer lip sync, go back to that and realize we get good things out of it. Also, do you just want them to stand there and not move? I'd rather see action, movement, Please. slapper style. Do you want costume. them like huffing and out of breath yeah. and you can't hear the lyrics? True. If your performer is dancing, mm-hmm. let them sing over a track. Yeah, exhaustion's not cute to watch. Adam so. Levine, or here. Adam Levine didn't limp sing. Maybe he should have. <laughs> Fergie should have lip synced when she was doing those flips on the stage. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> Not enough people have seen that clip still, I, I think. Love Her that doing clip. Barracuda live on the Today Show at like 7 a.m., doing flips and leather pants, performing Barracuda from the Shrek. Three soundtrack. She is Look doing intense, up. strange tumbling while wearing mall clothes. It is crazy. And I want it to be my text ringtone. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're back. The conversation with Skylar Aston. Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see... Footprints in the sand, that was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams robe. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? (laughs) No? Uh, If you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket— And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it. I 
effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. <laughs> Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And <laughs> I am the coziest a human being can be. Because by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's like pretty mild outside and then your apartment is cold. I can't explain mm. it. I don't know things like basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. We're talking about how Lewis looks like Phil Spector in Skyler's sunglasses. They're very rose-colored. They're quite literally. I got them in Spain, and then when I was in Vancouver, it was so great. I had to like get because the the actual glasses that I had were a little like specific, very round, almost Elton Johnny, mm-hmm. and so it always looked like I was making some sort of a statement when really I was just trying to look at the world through rose-colored glasses. So I I matched these lenses and got them like the everyday pair. Oh, that's well, there you go. poetic. Uh-huh. Yeah. Now, here's a question about being a TV and movie actor. Is most of your life secretly spent in Vancouver? I yeah, I've been there for half of this year. Yeah. Actually, and then before that I was I was in Toronto for 3 no, 2 months. So I've been there for like the better part of 9 months this year. Canada in general. So I'm half Canadian now. <laughs> <laughs> that's just a sh- shocking life. People don't understand that about people who make TV yeah, or whatever. Yeah, where things are filmed, definitely. They assume you're just in L.A. Right. Here. Mm-hmm. And that we all have mansions. There's 77 productions going on in Vancouver right now because of the tax break and because it just like you could, it, it kind of looks like everywhere and nowhere all at the same time. Do you run into people? Sometimes. Some, like like if you stay at like a certain hotel, like mm-hmm. there's like a lobby bar that you're like, oh, here are all where the actors are. Who's like the most interesting person you've seen? Spell. I've like mm-hmm. hung with John Cena, which was pretty exciting. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. wow, wow, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And Keegan, Michael Key, who's a great guy. Okay. Who, okay. I know Keegan, and he was doing a movie with John Cena. So I got to basically live out my WWE f- dreams. Okay. And your sketch comedy dreams. And my sketch comedy dreams. <laughs> Which technically WWE might just be sketch comedy. That's why it's for me. <laughs> it's my favorite form of theater. Um, speaking of theater, you are the first of the Spring Awakening cast to yeah. make it here. Yes. And oh. I'm obsessed with that whole just original cast. Mm-hmm. You will be so delighted to know that we have a group chat. Do you? Really? I was day. going to ask. Do you still stay in contact? To fully? this day. Like, and fully in contact. Wow. Like, just yesterday, I could pull it up on my recent text. Who's most active in it? <laughs> Great question. Because um, there's definitely group chats where someone is constantly texting. Totally. Oh, yeah. That's their main art form. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Share it. I'd say Lauren is really active. Phoebe. Like, mm-hmm. Phoebe's always good for a good article. Uh-huh. <laughs> Lauren's great for like occasions. She like doesn't miss one of those, you know. Okay. Remy is like always a double downer and a supporter. John and Leah are like always like in for the gags and the jokes. It's really like it's honestly it's not an annoying group chat. It's actually always lovely and delightful. But Giddy, I have, uh, yeah, a Broadway Twitter to me feels like one big 
group thread. Just like the constant enthusiasm and cheering each other on. Is it exhausting? I'm sorry. It feels like it can be, but really Broadway and theater in general is like one of the few places where as actors it feels like a community. And it's a really small one at that too. So yeah, so, so sometimes it's saccharine and it could feel that way. But like, I don't know, there is something kind of warming about that. And then again, like... For like Spring Awakening, particularly, I feel like we all bonded a lot through that production, but also because I think it's like theater's such a grind and like yeah. it, it's such a different kind of a challenge that there's a level of respect that we have for one another that like makes it feel even more like a community. Well, let me tell you, it was a grind getting tickets to that show. I can't <laughs> imagine. I was in, I was living in New York then. I got there early in the morning. And you did the rush? I did the rush. Did you sit on stage, perhaps? No, okay. I did not sit on stage. That, that would have That would have been too much for we me. Ha- it was, it was a- too much in Oklahoma, just like with the lights on. Yes, yes. Um, being at that table with the chili. At Wait, Circle were you the there square? the same day I was? I was not there the day Timothy Chalamet was there, I- and I will never forget myself. I'm going to say, what, what a moment in my life. I will. Yeah. 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 Uh, but yeah, I, I got rush tickets. I, I waited in like the cold. Yeah. To see that show. I'm happy you did. I mean, we had some real fandom in that show, and that was like pre-Twitter, so mm-hmm. it, it wasn't like, I feel like the show would have done, it would have carried, uh, I think, a lot further if it like came out now. Mm-hmm. I mean, I still think it's like a huge, amazing moment, and like it means the world to me, but like that time in New York, it was definitely like the show. Can I yeah. tell you something? It is crazy to me that you could have been in anything pre-Twitter because you just don't look old. No, I was I saying, that. I, I was saying yeah. when you came in here, I'm like, wow, this guy is my age. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you go out for like a range of ages all the time? I've definitely graduated from schools. Yeah, I feel you like. have. And I'm actually a little surprised by that. Yeah, I, I'm trying to think of like anything. Yeah, I haven't been like any sort of student in a while. I'd say like Pitch Perfect was my last like collegey thing, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm kind of like happy to be done with those roles in a way. Like I, I like to like come into my own and be more leading man. You know what I mean? And I've I've done that a little bit on stage recently, and that's been kind of nice. Mm-hmm. People seeing me in a kind of a different lens and a different light. You played I, the baker. I did. I played the, the baker. Woods. I loved Into the Woods. Me too. Yeah. It's become one of my favorites in the doing of it. Okay. As in it wasn't before. Uh, No, it wasn't high up. I mean, I love it, but it was like one of the more commonly known, like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like Mm. the sing song you want, but the profound lyrics are out of control. I feel like it's hard for, unless you're like a Sondheim nut. Right. For... Into the Woods or a show like that to be your fave. Because yes. there's, there's a lot of lyrics in Sondheim songs. Yes. So you can't just like sing them regularly at home. No, and, and they're all different. And each time you do the Into the Woods, it is a totally different. Like Yeah, every reprise is a whole other <laughs> set of lyrics. Not, not only are there lyrics, there's like different alt melodies. Mm-hmm. So instead of like Into the Woods, dun, 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 it's Into the Woods, dun, dun, dun. And, like, and by the way, if you think that that's difficult, in like Act 2, it'll be like, you have to every now and then. Like, you, like there are sour notes that are just, oh, we've added that dissonance. for <laughs> yeah. But once you, like, get into it, you realize that there's a reason for every single note and, like, mm-hmm. why. And there's, like, because there's, like, they're kind of letting you know that something's going a little wrong. And, and that's what I love. The nuance of Sondheim is, like, that's, you can only truly, truly get into it when you get into it. Did you have a favorite song from, sorry about that, from singing? Yeah, I loved singing No More with my father. 
father with my ghost yeah. father, mm-hmm. the mysterious mm-hmm. man. And that's normally kind of a, like a skippable track for me when I used to listen to it. Mm-hmm. And it, it became like kind of the centerpiece for our production because we really like took it apart and like told like Sutton Foster. I got to p- play my wife, which was like wow. unbelievable. I mean, yeah, doing Broadway it takes two with her. It's <laughs> yeah. insane. Oh my god, it's insane. I Iconic. still, I, I can't. And like honestly, it's her dream role. Mm-hmm. So, and so I get getting to do her dream role with her so close uh-huh. up was such a thrill in and of itself. And then we like had great chemistry and it went really well. And um, we really like tried to deepen those two roles, yeah. the baker and the baker's wife. It's like, who are these guys? They're the only people made up for the sake of Into the Woods. Yeah. Little Red, everyone else has existed. You know, in the grim fairy tales, but the baker and the baker's wife, like, what's that fairy tale? Mm-hmm. So we like made them more whimsical, but also like talked about their marriage and like kids and like the strain on their business. And so we kind of like really <laughs> got into it so much so that like if you think about it, like the baker like loses his wife, yeah. he loses, he gives up on his kid. It's like yeah. a real so no more when he finds his his ghost of his father in the yeah. woods. Mm-hmm. That's like the moment where the baker is like at his wit's end and he can't handle anything and no more of everything and. And then, like, you get into the lyrics, there's, like, no more giants waging war. There's, like, a lot about, like, politicians. Like, it, it, I don't yeah. know. It's very applicable. Yeah. It, it felt really powerful to sing that song center stage to whatever, like, 15,000 people at once. Mm-hmm. And it you could hear a pin drop. Yeah, what is that like as opposed to... A Broadway theater, you know, because well, the Hollywood Bowl is huge. This, there's no acoustic, so you just have to trust that, like, what you're doing is on pitch and, like, in time. Mm-hmm. Because you sing into Oh, that the... sounds horrible. Yeah, especially, <laughs> yeah, especially with yeah. Sondheim stuff. It's a little frightening. Yeah. And, like, we don't have time to properly really tech it. I mean, mm-hmm. we had a day and a half. The whole rehearsal process is two weeks. And you're doing a full scale, well, actually a bigger scale show than you would in New York. And we do, like, two shows, too? There's, like, th- four. Okay. And, like, there's no acoustics. Yeah. You know, it, like, rolls up this hill. There's always like a delay after you hit a note uh, or like finish a song. Like there's no applause, and then all of a sudden it rolls down. The <laughs> oh, weird! You're like, oh, that's a strange delay. And then people are. It's also the Hollywood Bowl, so it's like it's this big stadium for like people who don't know. And also people are just like on their phones oh my and God. recording things. Full on. Uh, People literally recording the entire show when I saw Baba Mia. Oh yeah, yeah. No, you can be basically loud there. Yeah, Yeah. basically Mm -hmm. loud. You could smoke weed. Yeah, I mean, like it's the first time I I did rent there nine years ago, and that Mm. was a crazy thing. It was right before I moved here, so I didn't get to see that one. People were definitely like using that as like a pseudo concert because (laughs) Into the Woods, like you kind of have to buckle down just a little bit, and like Rent is just like, oh my god, I love this song. (laughs) It's like half rock and roll. Let's like light up. It was pretty weird. Like smelling weed while performing. I saw uh, the Brooke Shields directed version of Chicago there with Ashley Simpson. Yes, yes. As Roxy, and I would describe my behavior as irresponsible. Yeah. <laughs> Hard not to be rowdy. Yeah. yeah. It became Lucy, interactive. I think it was Lucy Lawless played uh, mm, Mama. Sure. I mean, what are you supposed to do? Not like yelp to God? I mean, you know, it's very exciting. Yeah. <laughs> Xena the warrior matron. Yes, That's right. That's exciting. Wow. Do you work for Variety? Yeah, you should be. <laughs> yeah, right. right. You should be writing these up. I would definitely be great in like those like punny kind of reviews. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think of what was like Brooke Shields' sitcom in the 90s? Suddenly Seymour. Suddenly Seymour. Yeah. Suddenly Seymour. Suddenly, yes. Su- suddenly Seymour. Yeah. I'll watch that sitcom. Right. Starring Brooke Shields. That'd be amazing. <laughs> 
you have been on so many musical shows too. Mm -hmm. And I feel like you were part of this era where now we have shows that are musicals. Like it seemed weird back when Glee was on. Yes. Because like people had forgotten cop rock or whatever. Right. But Glee was on every week and lasted so many seasons. So long that I don't remember the last season. It does feel like maybe it's still on. You never know. I discovered (laughs) Billy Eilish's brother was on the last season of Glee. Right. Um, Just fully on it. Um, And you were in like one episode. Yeah. And I was thinking like, it's weird that you weren't in more, but then I was like, wait, you were in Pitch Perfect. You were busy. (laughs) I was busy and and they try to always make it work. They've offered me a couple things on that show. I do not know the characters because actually you have to say yes to Glee. They they don't tell you who you're playing until after you've accepted the role. Okay. So so there have been a handful of times where just because of schedule I couldn't do it, but I knew that they like had wanted me on it. Mm-hmm. And so I was kind of worried that when I did get an offer that I was able to actually do schedule wise that like they were going to give me some crappy role cuz they're like mm-hmm. this guy thinks he's you know whatever but they actually get, it was like so fun and I got to play a villain on the show which was fun and yeah. I was the lead singer of Throat Explosion which was very I love the <laughs> names of <laughs> the groups yeah. 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 You, right, yeah they are always funny yeah. yes yeah, you you were the villain in that, but yeah. you only did the one. Yes, and then you did Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Yes, mm-hmm. there must be no other TV show uh, working experience like that because in, in retrospect, I, I I can't compare that show to anything like the sarcasm, the the Sondheim like uh, uh, speed of the lyrics, the agility yes. of her performance, etc. And and that was like the agility of her performance, but also like just her on set, her working like attitude was unbelievable. Rachel Bloom, for those who don't know, is like, she was the creator, star, writer, approved the outlines. Like, it's such a hard worker, but also it was just a really like solid hang, which is so <laughs> rare because we were doing a mu- original musical in seven days, uh, which is like really difficult for an hour long show. I mean, that's less than like things like L.A. Law get. And those are a little bit more procedural. You're not like recording and doing dance and, you know, doing two episodes at once. Part of it is a testament to Rachel and like everyone being like, well, she's not complaining. We have nothing to complain about because mm-hmm. she's busier than all of us combined. And also the fact that, like, we didn't even think to. We were just having fun. It was really, like, a, it was a real fun set. Before I signed on, I've had friends that have done it before, and they were like, you are going to love it. These are, like, your people. You, It's like summer camp. Mm-hmm. And, like, all I was thinking was, like, I gar- like, I, like, it made me uncomfortable to hear that because I was like, uh, watch me be the guy that, like, doesn't have a good experience. Or, like, and then it would totally be on me because yeah. everyone loves it. But it was so not the case. It was, like, actually a blast. And we are all still, you know, very good very good buds. I can't well, believe yeah. L.A. Law was your reference just now. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, we can talk about Susan Day later. All right. I always show people the scene from L.A. Law. The, elevator, the elevator shaft. shaft. Oh, the best. David E. Kelly at his best. That woman just disappeared. She'd be gone. That's how you write someone out. Right. Uh, can you tell us what that process is like, too? Just add maybe how it's different from your new show, Zoe's sure. Extraordinary Playlist, the fact of you're learning music, uh-huh. you're learning choreography, you're also learning lines, yes. and then you have to shoot them very quickly, which is much quicker than you would get to if you were doing a stage. Absolutely, and, and sometimes the same day. So like it's, I, I always call it, it's like first instinct theater, so you just like have an idea and go with it, and you don't question it. That tends to like free me up on the day when we're shooting, and maybe the, the choreography is a little bit looser. Um, but I did enter Crazy X in season four, so it had become as well-oiled 
and fun of a machine as it could have ever been. Mm -hmm. So uh, the only difference I would say between that and Zoe's is that we were doing original songs on Crazy X. So you're you're straight up learning a song. Yeah. But they were always clever and they got the demos to us, you know, in good time. Mm -hmm. And everything. This is actually it's it's hard to actually uh, compare Crazy X to Zoe's because there are they're very similar in many ways Mm -hmm. and pitch perfect in, in the fact that like we always recorded in the production office. They in the production office they just had like a little booth mm-hmm. and that's where we did songs that eventually went on these soundtracks and you know would would be on the silver screen is like in this little teeny attic looking you know recording booth the silver screen yeah <laughs> the, the. silver screen like to LA law yeah. are you secretly 50 yeah. <laughs> listen honey does anyone still wear a hat uh, <laughs> well you may stay I become Elaine Stritch like, all of a sudden <laughs> uh, this is probably just like a testament to your musicality and your singing ability but do you you, you tend to be on shows where you are singing and dancing and you performing in those ways do you find yourself ever wanting to be in like very serious dramas that have nothing to do with music at all a hundred percent i've actually developed things that i had a script for a while about like cryptocurrencies and it was like kind of a thriller mm-hmm. i mean I, I i'm totally down also i i did sell a show but it was um a musical uh, also but this was before zoe's and i was definitely trying to like create something for myself and I understand that that's an arena that, and that's like a unique talent and ability that I have, but I do want to grow 100% and like show people that I could just act. And I've done that on stage now, which is very exciting, like not a musical and just, yeah. you know, spread my wings. And I think for a long time, I was like trying to quote unquote not become pigeonholed. Mm-hmm. And I now have hit a place where. I've learned about this new thing called, and I'm practicing called confidence. And I now, I now, never heard of her. Yeah, right. Yes. And like, I still don't know her. And like, I, I was like, no, I actually come into my own in the way that I, I know I will, and I'm actually just excited about it, rather than stressing and being like, I don't, I gotta be something like sooner, or else something yeah. else is gonna. I'm actually like, no, this is like a long career, hopefully, and like. It will happen for sure. Can I say, it feels impossible for someone like you to be underconfident because the skill set required to do musical TV shows or uh, Broadway musicals, I just feel like you have to be the quickest study ever, Mm -hmm. like picking up new choreography, new songs all the time. And so just the sheer ability to do that means... Oh, you have a, a, a wonderful talent. Right. So it almost is like, how could you be underconfident? I'm, I'm accusing you of lying. So <laughs> no, 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 yeah. because I'm human and because I'm like incredibly insecure all the time and like want validation just like anybody else. But I have become good at like going with my instincts, trying to make it look easy. That's what like mm-hmm. theater is. I can't tell you how many times, you know, extended friends or whatever would come to see a show and they would just be like, it looks so much fun out there. Mm -hmm. You must be having so much fun. And you're like, I've done my job because like we're supposed to evoke this feeling of fun and Mm -hmm. like an escapism. And so like, you know, it's, it's, I'm not saying I'm a sad clown, but it's not that hard to believe (laughs) that like, you know, you're supposed to just do it. And that's kind of also my job. You see a chorus line. These people are depressed. I'm half Paul. (laughs) (laughs) I, I do think it would probably be hard to be in something where you're not singing too because me as a audience member, like I watch Younger mm-hmm. every season and I'm constantly like, when? okay, Sutton, when are you going to sing? Yeah. Right. <laughs> like uh, this, this is what we came for. I've right. had enough. Right. Uh, 
but there's probably that push and pull from people. I think so, yeah. And and who knows? Like maybe like one day I'll show people that like I am equally, you know, there's like something equally actually rewarding about a certain performance I didn't know I could do. And that actually excites me. Yeah. Uh, even when I did The Baker, even though like there was like a leading man aspect mm-hmm. of that and a lot of people and people in the industry were saying like, you know, I actually like thought of you like you'd be a great George in Sunday in the Park with George, and like in my head, I'm like, yeah, guys, that's my dream role. I'm like, <laughs> you don't know that I could do that, but I think you saw a glimmer of that, and that's something I've always known, and that's like a great epiphany that I had, you know, because you go like spurts without working, and you're like, God, am I ever going to work again in this business all the time? And I think something that I've now given the same advice to other actors is that like I've bet on myself for this long. And I think that a lot of times there's that push and pull with confidence and fear. And I now am like, no, I I know I can do this because I I bet on myself. And I know that, like, I can sustain a a career at this point. I know I can. It's mine to mess up, maybe. But, like, that's gotten me this far. So, you know. Is it weird to watch as somebody who, like, okay, so your dream role is George and Sunday in the Park with George. Someone like Jake Gyllenhaal, who does not suck in any way, by the way, I'm just saying, right. kind of waltz in and just take it after not being a singer for forever, like yeah. as opposed to building up to it with like a hundred musical roles. A hundred percent. Well, I mean, that's tough. I have actually had conversations. There were certain um, male Broadway people that were upset about that because that's everyone's dream role, that mm-hmm. character. I think um, the fact that I've been a producer now a few times like helps mm-hmm. being like, guys, it's Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah. <laughs> he's selling tickets. Yeah, what are you supposed to do now? He's cast enormously him? talented and he sounds great. Mm-hmm. And some people are like, well, he doesn't sound a certain way. It's like, yes, but also something that you don't have that he does is like maybe a certain amount of acting chops, a certain amount of like wow factor, the mm-hmm. fact that he can do that. And also we know him as Jake Gyllenhaal. And I'm just like, I will wait my turn if I pl- don't play that role on Broadway, that's okay. Maybe I'll do it somewhere regionally and just get it out of my system once. Mm-hmm. Let's go or, do it in Iowa. I'm down. <laughs> I'm down. Iowa Community College uh, <laughs> production. The most coveted role. Yeah. <laughs> just, we can get the caucus out of the way and we'll be like, clear the stage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Keep some of the lighting. Um, I've gotten better also at not comparing myself to other actors. So that that is helpful. To just be like, yeah, that's his journey, and like he's doing it now, and like I'm not famous enough to do it right now. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And like that's okay. People get so emotionally involved, and like this is definitely a per. It feels like a personal business at times, but it's just a business. And like I think that that's also a, a good. I'm a clearly a Libra, if you guys can't tell. Yeah. Like, yeah. Complete scale. <laughs> I find maturity of this level suspicious. I know. Yeah. I'm, very, I'm terrified. Don't bring, up, don't bring up zodiac signs around Lewis. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's not my not my jam, shall we say? No. Not your jam. You're a terrorist. It's our jam. No. <laughs> so in a way, well, in, I, in that I'm a Leo, and I believe all the other signs are oh, inferior. God. So why do I even bother? But with that's the such a Leo thing that's to say. I am also one. I, my I, dad's I, a Leo. I tell him he likes it. You'll like it. I mean. Not yet. Coming soon, maybe. <laughs> it's a polite suggestion, you know what I mean? I take it with a grain of salt. Yeah. I, I, I'm on one of that CoStar app. Do you know this app? Yeah, uh-huh. of course. CoStar is rude. Dude, let me tell you something. Opening night into the woods, I get one of those daily affirmations from CoStar, and it goes, today might not be your best. <laughs> I was like literally about to hit the same. And that's when I was like, all right, this thing's BS. Like, yeah, that sounds know. like a killer house, uh, yeah. hiding outside literally. your house. Literally. Literally. Oh, astrology's stupid now. Sometimes it gets a little fortune cookie-ish. Yeah. Sometimes you're like, oh my God, totally. 
Thank you so much, CoStar. Yeah. Like, CoStar will literally be like, you you will be hit by a car today. Yeah. Enjoy. And you're like, I guess that's in my stars. <laughs> what can I do? Or, or just like, you're lying to yourself. <laughs> and you're like, I am. <laughs> Not. Um, we have to talk about the charm patrol of your uh, co-stars on Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. First of all, Jane. Insane. Whom I love. But also Lauren Graham. And yes. Alex. Yes. No, and also. Holy. I was just with them all last night. Holy oh, yeah. Exactly. And also my queen who comes up mysteriously frequently on this podcast, Mary Steenburgen. Oh, <laughs> yes. We yes. bow. We love Mary Steenburgen. Say anything so about these favorite? people. <laughs> yes. Rank them. Rank? Yeah. Impossible. They're all in a class of their own. And they're very different energies. But everyone gets along really, really well. Yeah. Um, Mary is, like, as advertised, like, as lovely. Uh, like, her and Ted are as, like, lovely a game night host as you would, like, hope. Oof, it's I did not of, know they went to a game night place. That it, makes me real j- dreamy for them. Yeah. It's again. kind of a stand situation mm-hmm. with them. I Like, they're all of our parents in a way. We have game night? They have game NBM night. Darcy yeah. Carden did not tell us about game night. <laughs> right. Strategically left. It's that also out. like fun and like there's like a level of partying that's happening as well. Like they're cool, like older folk. Um, Lauren Graham is like the coolest person on the planet. We had um, weekly sushi and Soul Cycle dates, just the two of us. She has rad English that's major so vibes to me. Just like somebody who's like super smart. I think she went to Barnard. She yeah, is a hundred percent like a lit major type. She's mm-hmm. always right. Her writing partner is always waiting for her. Like she always has to be like, I gotta go because like my writing partner is waiting for me to write. Oh, <laughs> okay. yeah. that's the like energy I like. Yes. Yeah. yeah, and she's like constantly making deals and like selling things and writing books. But she's also just like cool, and she just got this adorable little dog, and we're all obsessed with that dog. And um, Jane is like, I think like the hardest working person in show business right now. Just because that role is incredibly demanding mm-hmm. um, and she like brings she cares so much and I feel like that brings like a lot of energy out of her as well or drains a lot out of her too because she does care but it's it's you see it in the performance and Alex Alex is amazing I've known Alex since Glee my god he's enormously talented and I think he's like he's probably gonna be a fan favorite on this show mm-hmm. yeah. like everyone I know at NBC is like obsessed mm-hmm. with him you know what I mean cause like I've known him forever so I've just like and I saw him in, on Broadway at Once on this Island a couple times mm-hmm. so good at Once on this Island insane yeah and, and so I think I'm more excited about like the people that don't know Alex to like get to know him like that's that's been fun for people to just be like what is this voice of a generation. I'm like, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, you just refreshed uh, my anger about that Tony snub. He was a nominated oh, for once on yeah. this island. Sorry, yeah. I, we're somebody who, we're people who think about snubs regularly. No, yeah. 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 More than the awards. Yeah. Yeah. He definitely got robbed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's insane that he didn't get nominated, let alone win. Yeah, you know. It's well, freakish. Yeah. It's actually insane. Yeah. One thing I can tell you about the Tony Awards, they're criminals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, who, did they, who did they rob you of? Um... I don't know. I should be nominated every year. Oh, I, oh you just, think you should. Just okay, constantly. Yeah. Const- Pure delusion. You ever con- seen Nurse Betty? It's like that. Constantly ignored <laughs> for my um, role in Rumors uh, that I did on Broadway two years ago. The amount of... Uh, didn't Christine Baranski win for that once upon a time? I when you so. get to her level, I'll tell you. All right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for being here, Skylar. Dude, a pleasure. I could talk about all this with you for a very long time. Yeah. We're you have a devilish grin on your face all the time, too, which yeah. makes it extra fun. Yeah, it's like half flirty, but half just like, you guys want to hang out? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Don't forget to catch Skylar and Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist, airing Sundays on NBC at 9 p.m. Eastern, beginning February 16th. When we're back, we're going to get into Miss Americana. Miss Americana. 
Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream is a total chocolate game changer. We start with unbelievably creamy dark chocolate ice cream. Then we add different chocolate treats, like chocolate cookies, chocolate cake, or chocolate brownies to make four decadent chocolate flavors. Because sometimes the thing that pairs best with chocolate <laughs> is more chocolate. Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream. Extraordinary Dairy. Keep It is brought to you by your favorite political media company, Crooked. Lewis, Aida, and I want to give a huge congrats to our close personal friend, John Favreau, on his hit podcast, The Wilderness. Who wrote this? <laughs> Ira is livid. This is a trap. <laughs> Speaking of The Wilderness, I've been feel trapped. attacked. <laughs> Are we getting paid for this ad? <laughs> I am going to send John Favreau a personal Venmo request. <laughs> right. It's the right thing to do. Anyway, someone else talk about the wilderness. The wilderness, which we are so proud to support. On the wilderness, John looks for a path to beat Donald Trump in 2020 by talking to voters, strategists, organizers, and candidates in the battleground states that will decide the election. He takes us along with him to the four most competitive regions on the road to 270 electoral votes and 51 Senate seats, where he conducts focus groups with voters and fellow grassroots organizers and candidates who share their winning strategies. Here's the thing. It actually is an amazing and informative show, and I actually do listen to it. I would never tell John that. I've never been more ashamed of you, but go on. Hopefully you don't hear this. If you haven't heard of it yet, you can find The Wilderness wherever you listen to podcasts. Congrats on a great season, John. We love you. (laughs) (laughs) That was what the copy said, and that's what he read. (laughs) I do my job. For once, Ira, I will say this about you. You did what you had to do. I literally did what I had to do. (laughs) What? The other girls literally weren't willing to do. That sound clip will be used against you forever. (laughs) (laughs) The much-buzzed-about Taylor Swift documentary out of Sundance finally dropped on Netflix this past weekend. And the documentary follows Taylor's life and career and pulls back the curtain, revealing all we've ever wanted to know. Yes, because I stay up all night. Truly, everything was revealed. (laughs) I stay up all night wondering, like, how does Taylor Swift feel about life? (laughs) (laughs) It gave us a glimpse into her relationship. It gave us uh, behind the scenes on the creation of the album Lover and an insight into her new um, candid political takes. So... What did we think of Miss Americana? It was totally watchable. Mm-hmm. And the entire thing was like sewn together well. I was particularly interested in to the footage of her at the beginning of her career, like before her first meeting at a record company when she's mm-hmm. like 15, because she was this like wonderkind songwriter person initially. The movie gets into some dark stuff. She talks about having an eating disorder. She talks about that story where that guy groped her on camera and then she had to counter sue him after he sued her for, I think, defamation and she got $1 out of him. Because that was such a weird story. It's the weird case yeah. of not just a celebrity being assaulted, but in public on a red carpet. It was just a crazy... With clear evidence. Mm-hmm. Right. It shouldn't even be contestable. Correct. But... Yeah. Right, exactly. It's like dehumanizing for her to mm-hmm. have to even go through that. So there was. It, it taught us a lot about Taylor Swift and like the grossness of what she's had to endure. However... I do think it's a documentary about whether or not she should have her first opinion. 
And I think (laughs) for a pop artist in 2020, it's just not that interesting a dilemma for me. Mm -hmm. I've already brought her up 30 times this podcast. But if you watch Madonna's documentary, Truth or Dare, here's what's happening in that documentary. She's literally making fun of Kevin Costner on camera. (laughs) She is staging a masturbation scene in a gigantic concert. She's an asshole. And she's doing it publicly. So unfortunately, for my opinions on this movie... I don't think you can go back from pop stars who were just radically opinionated all the time. I -hmm. feel a little bit like it sheds some light on the fact that Taylor Swift has been not just unopinionated, but pretty bland for her entire career. You know, I would actually say that I found a lot of similarities in this documentary and Truth or Dare. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. To be honest. Uh, I find Truth or Dare, yes, it has... Madonna being an asshole and has more candid moments from her, allegedly. Right. I still. Oh, I mean, it's staged to death. I don't mean to say it's not. Of course. I mean, I still find Truth or Dare as curated as Miss Americana is, Mm -hmm. you know, particularly the moments of Truth or Dare where, um, you know, it's here, the gay people in my life, like the family, like I'm this mother hen, you know, it's like, welcome to. House Madonna, you know, um, that seems very contrived in the way that we are sort of contriving this Taylor Swift narrative that she is stepping into as this woman who has been very private and is now sort of letting us into her life. But I feel like we didn't really learn that much about her. The eating disorder, yes, that was revelatory. Uh, I liked the second half of the documentary a lot. The first half didn't sort of know if it wanted to be an origin story or if it was going to inform the second half. And I felt like we didn't learn enough about her pre-fame to really warrant the drop-ins that we did get. Mm. Yeah, for me, if I had to chronicle my experience with Taylor Swift, when she first came out, I was obsessed with her, in love with her, like probably invented Swifty. Mm-hmm. Was really in love with her. And then as she kind of went into her like electro-pop Jack Antonoff phase, I fell off because I was like, this isn't really for me. But getting to see, and I have a quote that I pulled from the documentary because it was one of the first times I heard a celebrity being truly candid about their experience, like giving us a very introspective view, she says, we're people who got into this line of work because we wanted people to like us, because we were intrinsically insecure, because we liked the sound of people clapping, because it made us forget how much we feel like we're not good enough. And I've been doing this for 15 years, and it's just, I'm tired. So my favorite part of the documentary was when she gave us those moments where I was like, it was very humanizing for her. Mm -hmm. She has been such a large figure and figurehead for young girls and for everyone for so long that I never really felt like as much as I knew her story, as much as I knew about all of her breakups and literally every facet of what was going on in her life, I didn't know how she was truly reacting to them. So to see this between her insecurities and the scandals that were happening with her and to see the inside of it, I I started to like her once again. My problem with that quote, though, is it implies that because you are insecure or you want a certain amount of approval, then necessarily you won't have any opinions that rock the boat or whatever. When it's like, Madonna, of course, felt the same way. Or yeah. you know, all performers feel that, that way. Moment... I felt like she said that as an explanation for why she's been under-opinionated, and I don't feel like it's enough because everybody's insecure. I yeah. feel like there are inconsistencies just in, let's get to the depiction of her relationships, right? She talks about the relationship with Joe Alwett is making it private because of the way that she has had relationships dissected over mm-hmm. the years, right? 
Well, then let's talk about why you had Tom Hiddleston wearing a tank top that says, like, I heart Taylor Swift, right? There have been calculated moments in her relationship history that she has presented to the public. And I think that those go largely uninvestigated in the documentary. And it's sort of trying to trade in my privacy was invaded with these relationships. And I was made this woman who is going from man to man. You know, they play that clip where she says, "Um, I'm not taking any men home. Mm -hmm. Um, Right. But men were a part of her narrative. They were a part of her songs. Um, Exes were a part of her lyrics. The majority of her songs are about how she reacts to men in her life. Yes, and she talks about, you know, like, I thought that people just wanted me singing about, like, breakups and relationships, right? Mm -hmm. So to excise those from the documentary and at least not even ask her, what were you thinking when you were making these relationships public? Do you feel like you had to do it? Was it your way of crafting yourself in a certain way? Uh, and I just think that we didn't get an answer about that. She pulled the exact same thing that Travis Scott did in his documentary, where the one of the, one of the opening scenes is, "Oh, I didn't win the Grammy. Look how my career is starting to fail, and look how I'm reacting to that. I'm just going to be better." You know, so I felt like. It, it did feel contrived. I feel like they deliberately put in things that make us sensationalize Taylor Swift beyond what we already have. Like, they just gave us the morsel so that we could start to humanize her, and then that was really, truly it. Mm-hmm. I did like that Grammy moment. It felt like a very real moment to me. Um, her, you know, I'm just going to make a better album uh, mm-hmm. because Reputation wasn't nominated. I thought that part of the movie needed... Just a soundbite where she said, I know I've won album of the year twice, and to Mm -hmm. win it a third time would be downright extraordinary, but I still feel shitty about not getting nominated. Yeah, You know, I mean, literally she would be tied with Stevie Wonder, the only person to win it three times. Well, it was kind of implied when she, like, the just the sheer happiness she had about winning the second time for 1989. She goes up and she's like, this is unimaginable. But yeah, you're right. Like, there definitely wasn't the flip side of that where she's like... But I'm still, I'm fine. I'm chilling. Like, I have two Album of the Year awards. If I can say one thing, I feel like that's what's always missing in these Taylor Swift conversations, right? The context. Doing that a third time would have tied her with Stevie Wonder, right? Mm -hmm. And she always misses when talking about how the public perceives her um, and that there are racial components to the way that the public perceives her, right? Like, winning for Felix when she was 19, it was... Just sort of shocking to give her this young artist album of the year. I mean, it was sort of the Grammy sort of chasing a younger image. Um, it's sort of the Grammys wanting to award a young white artist the same way that they've done with Billie Eilish, the yeah. same way they, they sort of did with Beck and Adele, ignoring like Beyonce or Kendrick Lamar and other parts of culture. And right? it's not like that album wasn't well regarded. It was obviously extremely popular, but it wasn't getting A plus reviews. Yes. So clearly they were into the fact that she was this young sensation. And it ignores the fact that her privilege as a white woman in the industry has afforded her these accolades from the Grammys. And so the obsession with getting these awards and these nominations are sort of removed of the context that she exists in. Mm -hmm. I know. I mean, seeing her like um, lament over her failures and then that coupled with I had forgotten how large of an artist she is. She was. And she's is. huge. She's, she's huge. huge. Like, was she just so ubiquitous that we're like, oh, yeah, Taylor Swift. And I also think it's possible you can be extremely popular and forget that your voice matters mm-hmm. or whatever. So I think that part of the documentary is interesting, her figuring out whether or not she should be super vocal. And then I also think about my own feelings about her and like, 
do I really know what Ed Sheeran thinks about anything? And do I even demand it? Do I know mm-hmm. what Bruno Mars thinks about mm-hmm. politics in the U.S.? And, and have we asked him about it? And I wonder if there is undue, <laughs> obsessive uh, fixation and concentration on what Taylor Swift thinks. And I yeah. wonder why. I like, think it was the length that she was popular. Like, you're 28 and you haven't said anything about anything regarding politics. Like, we want to know how you're feeling, especially when you operate from a generally conservative fan base. Yes. Right. I think that mm-hmm. is it. I mm-hmm. think the reason that people are so obsessed with what Taylor is thinking politically is just because she comes from country music, right? And the reference to the Dixie Chicks, we're getting into the area of she didn't want to feel like she would lose her conservative fan base Mm -hmm. if she came out against Trump, which is the subtext of those conversations with her dad and the people at her label, right? Which was a moving scene for me. It was a moving scene, but they also keep it the subtext. They don't say... You have fans who are probably racist, who probably support Trump, who probably support Marsha Blackburn. And if you come out against them, you will alienate them. The subtext never becomes the text. It's very congenial. Mm -hmm. Um, That said, it really was interesting that those guys allowed themselves to be on tape for that. Because I thought it was pretty overt them being like, don't do the thing you want to do. Yeah. And it's like, that's exactly what they wouldn't want on camera, right? I mean, it it's reminds me of like, you remember that age old uh, famous battle between Kelly Clarkson and uh, Clive Davis? Yeah, it's my like, December. Yes. And how uh, like <laughs> horrible he was to her, apparently, according to her. And a, a part of me just wanted to see that battle because it seems so crazy that someone with power, like Clive Davis, could be so rude to a genuine superstar who obviously should do what she wants most of the time. But then I saw this conversation, and I'm like, I guess it is just that blatant. That's why I also found it congenial. You know, It was directed by Lana Wilson, who did um, After Tiller, um, the documentary on late-term abortions, and it is also produced by Taylor Swift. You know, like the entire documentary sort of seems to be about her fighting the patriarchy. And if you're thinking about it in terms of sort of PR for her, right, these people work for her. So it is flattering to her. Correct. So why wouldn't they participate in something that makes her seem more in control? Right. You know, and one thing I was really missing is. That push and pull between her and her conservative fan base and her country roots, right? They Mm -hmm. talk so much in the documentary about, like, her country fan base. And she talks about how, like, when you grow up in country, like, you know, like, you don't talk about your political views, this and that. There's never really the conversation about how, aside from, like, fearless to speak now, she has not largely played in country. Right. It's yeah. making so long music. ago now. It's uh-huh. so long ago. Pop music. And I don't think people think of her as a country artist anymore. So there's no talk about how she shifted to pop, but still wants to maintain this conservative country fan base. And I think it was also a little disingenuous to only bring up the Dixie Chicks because obviously mm-hmm. someone like Lady Gaga has only skyrocketed after being way more political. Yeah. You know what I mean? Most of them are, in fact. You know, Madonna, etc. Well, it's that idea that she keeps referring to the country roots, right? You know, because like if she was talking about simply as a pop artist, if she was only a pop artist, this would matter. Yeah. Gaga, Beyonce, Ariana Grande, 
you expect pop artists to speak out. I mean, traditionally, that's what pop music does, right? Pop music, um, going back to Truth or Dare, which you brought up, like, it's always about challenging the system in a sense, you know? Yeah, being uh, provocative be, somehow. Yes, yeah. even being a woman and existing is um, sort of uh, challenging to the music industry in and of itself. And there's just this sort of weird shackling to her country roots in the documentary that I don't think is really truly examined. You mm-hmm. know what I felt like was lacking and maybe she was trying to approach it from if I show you that I have relationships with gay people or if I show you that I care about gay rights and the Equality Act, maybe that will kind of negate the conversations and the criticisms around how I use gayness and queerness to kind of elevate my own identity. I wanted her to acknowledge that. I wanted her to acknowledge that the critiques around her are that she uses it to capitalize on her own pop country, whatever agenda, but that that wasn't shown at all. Right. She talks about her connection with her gay fans um, with You Need to Calm Down, but the people who were in the documentary are the Queer Eye guys because mm-hmm. it's a Netflix joint, so of course <laughs> they were going to show up. And then Todrick Hall, who... Anyway, um, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> there is no relationship between her and a gay person shown throughout the documentary. Yeah. The only time we even see her with friends, to be honest, is when that girl comes over to her Silver Spoon's house. Right. Like that that house is horrible, mm-hmm. by the way. The the decor. Wait, which uh, house? When? Taylor's home. The decor. <laughs> oh, yeah, when she's sitting it's like there. Jesus. Oh, which, well, I guess she does Todrick nails, so that's yeah. like an ally, Like right? the Grey Gardens of it all. Um, <laughs> it was interesting that when you just talked about the part where the Queer Eye guys were there, and Jonathan Van Ness at one part is like, not lecturing her, but telling her basically to be more forceful, and, and it was weird watching him and thinking, he really does have an influence over her. Uh-huh. I think yeah, she yeah, will fully. do this because she's listening to him. And then then the next scene is her doing it at yeah. the awards, mm-hmm. you know? So I guess, like, there are things that are redemptive about her. Of course. Yeah. I just wanted to see why. Mm-hmm. We That's see her talking to a famous queer person, and I guess that is your interpretation, Louis. Like, she hears it from JVN, and she's like, okay, this is what I need to do. But I didn't get a sense of why she cares about gay people, Mm -hmm. you know? Like, and maybe she just does, Yeah, you know? Like, obviously, like, you can just be like, I support gay people, gay people should be able to have their rights, et cetera. Um, But there just seemed to be no other queerness in her life. Um, Well, I I don't think it gets to the bottom of her political integrity. Like, we don't really Mm -hmm. know when she started thinking a certain way or if she used to feel another way. Like, I think it's intentionally vague for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, We learn about Mm -hmm. her making her political statement, but we don't really learn the impetus behind it, right? Um, They don't even talk about her photo at the ballot box in 2016. Remember, people were like, who did she go vote for? Yeah. Like, she doesn't mention if it's Hillary. She doesn't mention if it's Jill Stein. She doesn't Mm -hmm. mention anyone by name, you know? And I think that there are just criticisms of Taylor that have existed over the years that are ignored for the easy narrative of this documentary. For instance, when there are the women criticizing her on the news, those clips and Fox News, um, there aren't any clips of any black women critiquing her, mm-hmm. which have largely mm-hmm. been the critiques that I've found the most valid Powerful and nuanced, career. yeah. You know? Every, critiques of her by black women have always felt like they're coming from a real place of commenting on the way that she navigates whiteness and music as opposed to something like showing Nikki Glaser saying that, like, oh, she's too skinny. Like, that's a superficial comment, which was 
dumb and body shaming. Mm -hmm. It doesn't get into actual critiques of Taylor Swift as an artist that she has dealt with in her career. That said, the the montage you're talking about when they go through a bunch of sort of mean uh, comment uh, commentaries about her. I was blown away to see Bill O'Reilly say about the Dixie Chicks they should be slapped, slapped around. around. Guys, why is he allowed to exist, period? After that? Yeah. And that was so long ago, too. Yeah. Sean Hannity saying, like, they're a bunch of dumb bimbos. Like, that yeah. was more shocking to me and made me want to revisit the Dixie Chicks era of when they were, quote-unquote, canceled by mm-hmm. the conservative right. Because, like, the things that were said in those news clips were far grosser than anything that was said about Taylor in the documentary. Right. Yeah. I mean, like, th- there were some, like, petty, stupid things said about her, like calling her annoying and stuff. Like, n- nobody has oh, ever no, called a male were, pop uh-huh. star annoying. I thought you they know. were petty and stupid. Well, well Kanye. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a whole other conversation. <laughs> I think also, like, I will probably never have celebrity at the magnitude that Taylor Swift has, but I still felt like those moments before she was, like, right about to post that political thing, it felt so self-indulgent. It was so, it took so long, like, she's on this couch freaking out, and then they toast to, like, what do they say? To the resistance. Like, you are tweeting something. Like, you are probably maybe going to lose a a little bit, like, maybe some fans, but other than that, like, don't equate your strife to that of, like, what are you doing fully? You know, like, what are you actively doing? It's so turned out that fifty, nearly 50,000 people signed up to vote, registered to vote in Tennessee after what she did. But what are you doing actively that's making me think, okay, Taylor, you actually care? To and be she, fair, they said there were voter registrations on the website. I don't think they ever qualified that they were all in Tennessee. And that was always mm. my questioning of that narrative when it was announced, when she came out politically and they said, oh, they had, had that many um, people signing up uh, after that. I think we talked about that on the show before. Mm-hmm. They, they didn't tell us specifically where those voters came from. I also yeah. think she, I mean, that part of the, the movie. Which isn't she, to discount it, obviously. Right. In that part of the movie also, some person on her team, I don't think it's a relative of hers, responds with, oh, look what Perez Hilton said about you. It's like, are you really surrounded by people who read Perez Hilton quotes to you? Yeah. It was like, it, it was disappointing. I, in a way, it, it shone a light on the fact that she's been sort of apolitical the way she has been because she's surrounded by a sort of disappointingly bland, uninformed team. Yeah. A team that's also largely men. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and for a film that's about taking on the patriarchy, I'm still just reminded of like that 1989 win where she talks about, you know, um, doing this for women in music, et cetera. And yet there's just like nothing but men standing behind her on the stage, which is fine. You know, I'm a man. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, it, it just was weird seeing the narrative that she's putting out and then seeing how many men are involved in the creation process of her albums. Right. right? But then also all of the men are sort of, Yes, men too. Jack Atanoff doesn't object to anything she says. I no. know, yeah. Brendan Yuri um, just seems just to so show chipper. up and sing whatever she tells him to sing. Even sick, um, boy, go home. <laughs> yeah, there's 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 no push and pull in the um, creation of her music. And if I can say that's one thing that I sort of liked about Homecoming with Beyonce, right? We know that she's. Also a private person. Yeah. Um, but sort of with Destiny's Child and the way people sort of revere Beyonce, it seemed like everything sort of comes to her very easy. And what I loved about Homecoming was the fact that you saw her like starving herself. You saw her work yeah. ethic. You saw like how hard she was just drilling everything 
in. Um, and I feel like that subtext worked for the documentary. Uh, whereas Miss Americana, there seems to be no push and pull with creating this music. It all just seems to flow out very easily. And I don't see how it seemed different from the creation of Reputation, that, I guess. Yeah, well, yeah. I, I do think it was interesting watching her be a songwriter because, again, I always find the songwriting process behind pop songs to be weirdly clandestine. Like, we don't know anything about it. Mm-hmm. So to see her, like, coining phrases on the fly, it's like, all right, this is, like, the mechanism oh, that, that makes was, a pop superstar. That was fun. That said, when she's writing that song, like, Only the Young, and she's coming up with these lyrics that, to me, don't mean anything <laughs> and are bland, it's Can like, run. there's no pushback. It was so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. 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 Exactly. The no pushback with the people who are producers with her was odd. Seeing her come up with fun turns of phrases, I was like, that's why I enjoy your music. That's why... I I went to the Reputation tour, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And as someone who is a black queer person who is a fan of Taylor Swift and knows how she operates in a space of whiteness and in a space that sort of straddles both of my sort of identities and it's always sort of hard reconciling that loving Taylor Swift um, with moments where it's sometimes difficult to. I wanted to come away from Miss Americana with some sort of deeper understanding of her and being like, oh, there it is. But I didn't really get that. Yeah. It was enjoyable, though. Mm-hmm. It was cute. Yeah, fine. It was cute. Two and a half stars. I mean, I think now in retrospect, too, at the time I was such a Kanye fan that I was really blind. And I wasn't really that interested in Taylor Swift that I I allowed him to do what he did, mm-hmm. you know, in my mind. But now looking back and realizing she was 17 and now having been that age and understanding how young and stupid you are and how much that really affected her psyche, um, I think that the documentary really swayed that for me at least. I will say that we, we've long reconciled the fact that like yeah. maybe we were on Kanye's side too mm-hmm. much because, I mean, fuck him, right? But there was a concerted effort to remove any of the retaliation she did yes. to Kanye in the midst of all that. That was all sort of glossed over. But the thing I found glossed over the most was that thing happened to her at the VMAs, right, when Kanye interrupted her. Mm -hmm. Not once do we see the clip of Beyonce bringing her back on stage and giving her her moment. Right, right, right. And Mm -hmm. that was another woman supporting her. It was a black woman supporting her. And it was Beyonce using her moment at the VMAs to give Taylor um, a moment and it's not even in there it's not even mentioned that's a good point Mm -hmm. yeah anyway uh, when we're back keep it and we're back with our favorite segment of the episode it is keep it lewis you look sullen. Oh, yeah. Look at you. Um, I'm not sullen. I'm simply weary of the fact that it's Oscars week. I, it's a very overwhelming time for me, mm. spiritually, emotionally, etc. Um, so for my keep it's this week, and by the way, you can see me on the red carpet yet again. If you click on the Oscars hashtag on Twitter, I'll be there interviewing whoever allows themselves I lost the chance my to be there. We won't be doing yeah. that. Okay, I'm so yeah. sorry. Lost Great. my computer. Sorry. Right. Um, so I thought I would just say keep it to a couple of notable Oscar wins I don't like. Thought that would be fun of me. Um, <laughs> the people want to hear Lewis talking about the Oscars. Right. Yes. Um, first one, 
1988 Best Actress, Jodie Foster in The Accused. Guys, no movie has aged poorer. It's a tragic story of a woman who was raped, but unfortunately, there's another tragedy in the story, and that is Jodie Foster's accent. Oh my God, it doesn't Ira. hold up. It does Ira. not hold up. Oh yes. Uh, Ira, you want to do it? <laughs> the heir apparent to Jodie Foster's accent. Ira. <laughs> Secondly, I want to say keep it to the Oscars for not having nominated Joaquin Phoenix for her. I think that is one of the definitive performances of the decade. Mm. I did not expect this man on his recent tour of wins for Joker to impress the hell out of me so much with these speeches criticizing various things, but most recently the racism of the BAFTAs and how they didn't nominate a single actor of color this year. I'm not saying it's more impressive because he's white, but let's face it. One thing we are seriously lacking is just white people pointing out certain things. You I know think what I mean? One thing we're lacking is white men pointing it out. To yeah. be honest, it's it's usually some white women and like largely women of color who have to go on stage constantly and say, "Hey, our industry is fucked up, right? Mm-hmm. And it was nice seeing Joaquin do it in the home of colonialism. Yeah. <laughs> uh, With all the stoic white faces right? leaning yes. back. They're, they're like, please don't do this, Joaquin. <laughs> oh, God. We, we just Jody? Lost, we just lost Harry and Meghan. Like, you, can't, you can't do this to us. Not the BAFTAs. Uh, <laughs> Only a couple weeks ago, he had that, that brilliant SAG speech where he was toasting all his fellow nominees. I just did not expect to be won over by him so much this awards tour I so congrats to him Joaquin Phoenix I just don't like the Joker yeah, yeah. no yeah, I yeah, know yeah. me neither I, I, just, I just think it's such an awful movie I will say if he wins for this movie which he definitely will it'll be one of the more disappointing best actor wins because think of how a crazy person looks in a movie that is exactly what he does in yeah. this performance it's not yeah. a new take on crazy it's mm-hmm. just not yeah you it's know it's the same argument about how like marriage story was easy to act in even though it doesn't like a, you know how we sensationalized it so much it's like you are doing the most the most is not hard to do I think doing the least in a nuanced way is what's hard to do right? I'm just sad because he's gonna win and Antonio Banderas will not win for pain and glory which mm-hmm. I think is the best performance of Antonio's career and I w- recently went to watch it again uh, for a collab for your consideration um, event where Antonio talked after it and just hearing him talk about his relationship with Almodovar, um, hearing him talk about his career as an actor, it, it just would be such a beautiful moment for him to win. And like, I just think Pain and Glory hasn't been talked enough in the conversation too, you know, like the, those scenes with um, his mother at the end of it. Um, Antonio talked about how those are things that Almodovar had wanted to say to his mother um, for years and sort of never had even though he made a film like all about my mother mm-hmm. like he never really expressed the fact that like he's sorry that he's not the son that she wanted right. um, like he didn't turn out how she had wanted him to turn out and Antonio said that in years of knowing Pedro he's never seemed happier mm-hmm. and it's like this movie seemed like such therapy for both of them and seems to have meant so much to their careers and the gift they've given cinema that I think it would be beautiful to see Antonio um, rewarded for Pain and Glory. But We are deeply familiar with Almodovar. There are so many people who have yet to discover a single film of his. Guys, it's super rewarding. Go back. I mean, like there are some wild capers in there, mm-hmm. deeply sensual movies, etc. And, and it's nice seeing Parasite nominated too. You know, like right. I would love for Almodovar to have like a moment like that where it's lauded like best picture and best international feature but I think we're sort of past that era for Almodovar right you know Mm -hmm. he's sort of 
old guard in film at this point. And he's Oscar winner, obviously. And finally, the Oscar winner, I want to say keep it to an eternal bad decision is Sandra Bullock winning for the blind side. I think about this win every once in a while. Not only, a truly awful performance. Not only did she win, she beat one of Meryl Streep's top 10 performances ever in Julie and Julia. Mm-hmm. For a biopic performance, I think that might be my favorite biopic performance of all time. Because it's a combination of accurate, wild, hilarious, and believable, while definitely mm-hmm. being a take on the character. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's not just a sort of by rote. I can do all the ticks exactly right sort of performance. I think it really is delightful. I think the rat and ratatouille is my favorite yeah, biopic performance. Oh, sure. <laughs> but I really did love Marilyn that. I don't think Sandra's performance is awful. I just think that the entire concept of the film The Blind Side is odious to me. Right. Mm-hmm. No, again, it's the true story that does not need to be made into a movie. Yeah. The point we're getting from this movie is like, isn't it nice of her that she did this for this guy? It's like, why are we celebrating that? She was a rich person? I don't know. You don't want these black people on the field? Let me tell you <laughs> something. <laughs> is, she, is she Southern in that movie? Yeah. I can't remember. Yes, yeah, that's she right. Is. Leanne Tui. Yes. The most right. successful thing she does in that movie is like dye her hair blonde. Right. You know, yeah. believably. Where was her win for Miss Judy out? That's what I'm saying. And then, of course, yeah. we nominated her for Gravity when mm-hmm. she was fabulous in, and then we don't give her the win. That's how it works. Mm. Okay, well, um, my keep it today goes to, as I'm sure you guys all saw, the uproar around the Meg the Stallion and g Easy debacle, which luckily Meg cleared up this morning. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, because we were all clearly so stressed. But I, And this is going to be way more nuanced than I can fit into one keep it, but it reminds me of the conversations that we have about black women and interracial dating and how they are uh, extremely villainized and demonized for doing that just right off top. But, you know, most of it was jokes that I saw on Twitter on the Bird app. However, a lot of it was serious. A lot of it was, you know, fuck Meg the Stallion. How could she do this? She's a traitor. I even at the beginning was like, oh, Meg the traitor. But I would like to say there is a shift in consciousness happening. I think we are realizing how to seize power is to date the enemy. And I want to point to... (laughs) Oh, this is an act of subversion. Yeah, this is true. This is true. I want to point to Zendaya, who is was seen gallivanting out of Strand Bookstore yesterday with her co-star, Jacob Ellerdy, who plays Nate on Euphoria. They seem to be dating. They're very coupled up. They look cozy. Allegedly. Allegedly, I know, but he they're very close. They're a little close for comfort. I we have I wanna believe they're dating. I wanna believe something's going on. Okay, so that's one. Two, Meghan Markle and um, her white king, Harry. They've been causing uproar. Again, once again. So we have those two. Who else do I have? Are they the star of a streaming series yet? <laughs> <laughs> They'll have their own Michelle Barack production company soon. Just mm-hmm. wait. And we'll never get to see it. Just like this. <laughs> Thirdly. Lon- London side with you. <laughs> <laughs> Thirdly, there is. <laughs> London side. <laughs> South York with you. <laughs> Thirdly, there is. I was out the other night and it was. February 2nd, which is about when this was all happening. And I was at a work party for Big Mouth. And while we were there, I felt this pull to this beautiful white boy that was sitting in the corner. And let me not forget to mention, Skylar Aston was in here doing the interview, and I fell in love with that man. So I know that, again, there's something happening. A climate change-like thing is yes. occurring is at you. Is there really a climate change? Or are you making excuses for, you know, being tantalized by the white meat I'm at the just, moment? I'm just, I, I like, think you moved to L.A. and just lost your damn mind. No, Listen, no. I, am, I am not one to come for that era. You know, listen, I you know, I, 
I, I love a white boy here and there. I already didn't have uh, a phase. But I, I mean, I'm probably still in it. But um, <laughs> I just don't date in general. But also, um, ain't nobody risking it all for a white man. I know. It's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> I'm just saying that right now. Maybe it's February. I picked, oh, the wrong month. It is Black course. History Month, girl. I know. But it's also. You jumped out the fucking window. It's also the shortest month. So maybe <laughs> let me just get this out. Let me just get this little thing out. I will secure as much white meat as I can. And then I'll be out. I'll be out. But this is this month I'm dating white boys. Every time I date a white man or a white person, it is the most emotionally taxing thing I've ever done as a black woman. So we'll see. But I just want y'all to know that is in the stars for me. That's well, it. Okay. I'm glad you're going to go find yourself a Gerald Easy. <laughs> you got to keep us posted on this journey. I will. Well, next please week. don't. I will. <laughs> the DMs are coming. The DMs are coming. My keep it is to a white man. Oh. It is Jeff Bezos. Oh, I've heard of him. This photo he posted at the Super Bowl with, I just took a DNA test. Turns out I'm 100% Lizzo's biggest fan. Pay your taxes. One, I am so tired of people using that fucking line whenever they take a photo with Lizzo or reference Lizzo. You're not taking a DNA test. And also, who actually wrote that joke? Because it sounds like who's ever doing Brad Pitt's award show patter at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) That's also my keep it. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to. Bra- I love Brad Pitt. Right. I love you know I love him so much. Him just going around continuing to make these jokes about his divorce. I'm like, oh, we get it. Yeah, right. <laughs> Enough. The close, ho- the, close the writers' room. The hokum <laughs> is over. Stop it. But maybe it's because Joaquin is giving these emotional speeches. Brad He's is like, I, I have to. Yeah. I have to be the funny one. Right. I, That's why yeah, you guys like me. You you miss me when I was funny. But by the way, this picture of Jeff Bezos. I noticed that he is every age. <laughs> He kind of looks seven and also 700. He is every version of Lex Luthor that's been on screen. Right. He somehow somehow looks like Jesse Eisenberg and Gene Hackman at the same time. (laughs) How? And Lizzo looks kidnapped. (laughs) I mean, how do you you say no to the owner of Amazon? Right. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Um, he literally looks like one shade of color. Like you took the Microsoft Paint tool and like just dumped one color. His lips are the same as his forehead. Yeah. Is the same as his cheekbones. Yeah, like you you go up to Lizzo and you're like, I want a selfie. Like, of course you you have to say yes in this age of oligarchs. Right, mm-hmm. and it's a picture, so you can't blink twice if you're in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then of course, my queen Omarosa resurfaced. No, she oh, did. She responded to the photo saying, "Love at Lizzo." Now, when you say resurfaced, do you mean actually walked out of the sea? Because I can picture it. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, she's finished fucking that fish. Omarosa's <laughs> <laughs> in the shape of water in universe, okay? I just imagine Omarosa in every Best Picture winner. As she, oh, yeah, please. Yeah. Like, I, I like to think of her in Green Book. The King's speech being like, the speech is annoying. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, that's my keep it, I guess. Oh, one more keep it. One more keep it to John Lovett. Oh, what did he do? Oh, no. Uh, well, he's he's making his gay news, like his catchphrase, which right. is not my keep it. I mean, like, I'm glad that he's discovering homosexuality right. in the year 2020. <laughs> but he tweeted something about how during the Iowa caucus drama, um, the winner takes it all. Um, the ABBA song came on, mm-hmm. and no one else sang along with him, which, of course, I mean, you think John Favreau knows any ABBA songs, or Tommy, Do you to also honest. expect people just to s- drop what they were doing and sing a song that they were hearing? Yeah, anyway, um, he made sure, however, to tweet out a photo of the ABBA gold 
album cover mm-hmm. to let people know that he was listening to actual ABBA and not Mamma Mia. And oh, you I, felt that was homophobic. I thought that that was homophobic. Yeah. Homophobia jumped out. Gay, <laughs> gay news, you're a hater. Yeah, Pete news. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gay. <laughs> we teach men to make themselves gay, but not too much. <laughs> Otherwise, you will offend the straights. <laughs> um, and then I said, wow, you need to let people know that it wasn't the Mamma Mia version, right? And he wrote, haven't heard that version. Either he's telling the truth and I'm disgusted. <laughs> right. Or he's being sardonic and I'm disgusted. See? <laughs> right. <laughs> Solved. Anyway, that's our show. Thank you to Skylar Aston for Homophobia joining us. Homophobia is the name of the game. <laughs> If it wasn't for the homophobia nights. <laughs> I love that song. Uh, thank you, Skylar Acid, for joining us. And we will see you next week with our Oscar Bonanza. Lewis can hardly contain himself. Keep It is a product of Crooked Media. Caroline Rustin is our producer. It's Caroline like the princess. The one you don't care about. Our editor is Bill Lance, and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thanks to our digital team, Elijah Cohn and Nadine Melkonian, for filming and editing our video content every week. Explore the world's hidden wonders on the Atlas Obscura podcast, a village in India where everyone's name is a song, a boiling river in the Amazon, a spacecraft cemetery in the middle of the ocean. Every day, The Atlas Obscura podcast will blow your mind in 15 minutes. You can find it on the SiriusXM app, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow the show so you never miss an episode.